Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Today, we're talking about our experience with high-level combat in the new edition of D&D. Specifically, we're going to be dishing on our live event, the Tarask Takedown. If you missed the events live, fear not, for it lives on YouTube and in podcast form. You can find links to the two-part event in the show notes for this episode or on thetomeshow.com. Let's meet our panel. Guys, tell us which character you were playing during the Tarask Takedown. With me today at the round table are Joe Lestowski. Hey everybody, I was playing uh, Malachi Moonriver, the level 20 moon druid, uh, who frequently wasn't in his normal form. He was frequently uh, many things, including a dragon turtle. Topher yes. Cohen, who did you play during the Tarrasque Takedown? I played Jimmy of the Page, the um, College of Knowledge uh, bard with the mostest in the Screaming Loot. That's right. He uh, also is the master of the hand crossbow, as we'll hear later. And Chris Dudley, who did you play during the Tarrasque Takedown? I played Arcovaxis, uh, the name that nobody could say, the 20th level uh, dragonborn, blue dragonborn fighter with a great sword and an attitude. Uh huh. <laughs> and eight attacks per round. Yeah, too many. Yeah, but yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> no, not too many. Uh, and I played a warlock named Crisdale the Unworthy who had a mean hurl through hell. And uh, there's uh, one other guy on this panel who was uh, pretty important during these events. Mike Shea, what did you do during the Tarrasque takedown? I played the Tarrasque. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed you did. And if there was a winner of the Tarrasque takedown, it was certainly the Tarrasque. (laughs) All right, guys. What a D&D. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He may not be able to eat all the players, but he can sure eat up time. Yeah. Yes, That's, that is for sure. Uh, I can't I think argue with that. Given time, he may have eaten all of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, so. I just want to point out I came out unscathed. Just saying. <laughs> Bragger. <laughs> well, we'll get to all that in the moment. But first, a get to know you question for our panel. What is your favorite epic level creature from any edition of D&D? And Joe Lestowski, let's start with you. Well, I got to admit, I've been salivating over the stats for Tiamat in the recently released uh, Rise of Tiamat 5th uh, edition uh, book. But I, f- I feel like that's that's a little, uh, I don't know, a, a god like that is is kind of too too excessive for me. I, I wouldn't have as much fun running that as a DM. I think the most fun uh, high-level monster I've ever had the chance to run has been Baba Yaga. Um, and I ran her in 4th edition, although I've been a fan of her since before I even played D&D, just hearing ancient you know, Russian folktales about her. Uh, but the idea of something that so, someone that is so crazy and powerful but also evil but also might want to help you and you're not sure and maybe we should just stay away from her but there's also the chance we could get a lot of good stuff from her and so that that sort of insanity has been really interesting to play because you can swap very easily between uh grandmother giving you stew and then seeing the children's body parts rise up in the stew kind of thing you know so it i think i had the most fun playing her 
Yep, that is certainly horrifying. <laughs> that is for yes. sure. <laughs> uh, Topher Cohen, what is your favorite epic level creature from any edition of D&D? I feel it's a little bit of a cop-out, but it's the creature that I have DM'd the most and played against the most in every edition of D&D and my very short stint in Pathfinder. It would be the uh, epic or ancient or legendary, whatever term that edition called it, Red Dragon. Mm. It's so iconic. It's so much fun to DM. It's so much fun to fight. When you, I don't care what level you are. I don't care what edition you're playing. When you take a red dragon down, you really feel like you've accomplished something. It's one of the few times I've seen a player full, of, a table full of players really cheer. Oh yeah, at a, yeah. At a game, it's just it's iconically cool. And I, I've I pulled out my second edition and my the the reprint of the of the uh, first edition books monster manuals and looked at them and i was just like yeah at any edition that guy's just a bad a bad mother and just so cool to take down yeah yeah they're pretty awesome and they're most fun to take down with a hand crossbow from what i hear (laughs) Uh, christopher dudley uh you know um i've always been drawn for some reason to the demon lord grazd um, I tend to throw him into the epic tier of any campaign I run, and I'm not really sure why. I mean, I just I kind of ran across him in the Lost Caverns of Sajkanth back in the 80s. I came across him in the Book of uh, Vile Darkness in, in third edition. And somehow between first edition and third edition, he transformed into this demigod of lust. Well, you know, by that time, my games were getting a little bit darker and a little more grown up. <laughs> Yeah. And finally, Mike Shea, your favorite epic level creature from any edition of D&D. So I got to go with Cryonax for fourth edition. Ah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no uh, surprise. For, for a wow. few reasons. <laughs> One is I believe him to be the most powerful fourth edition monster ever created. Yeah. And, and, and also I created it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so those those are good factors. Um but I, I really I dug him as a as a monster, you know, giant yeti with tentacles. He's kind of like the craziest monster if you look in the old, you know, I think he was in the Fiendfolio, and uh, he's kind of a goofy looking guy. But from a so I'm, I I get into mechanics a bit more than stories sometimes, and I really loved his mechanics. He had the I think he had the first donut aura. He had an aura that was within you had to be within five squares of him, or else you were going to get ripped apart by ice shards. And that was specifically oh. so that you'd be within his threatening reach and he could slap you with tentacles. So it was like, you know, he's all of his mechanics are damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of stuff. So, yeah, he's, he was 30, I think 35th level, 35th level brute. So he certainly <laughs> uh, held his own. And I ran him against my hardcore optimized 30th level group. And uh, he gave him a good what for. Uh, he didn't beat them. They still beat him. But they were they felt thrashed at the end. And I said, OK, if they feel thrashed, he's ready. Yeah. Job so, well done. Yeah, Chris Sims, D and D D D designer and developer, and and I went back and forth a lot on his on his mechanics, and it was great fun. So I like him a lot. He has a crazy cult of people that you know worship him, ice ice barbarians and stuff. <laughs> so just to give you guys a quick recap on the Tarask takedown, uh, Mike took us through three epic battles: one against the Tarask, which we lost; one against an undead beholder, and it's beholder zombie minions 
which we won, and one against a red Draco Lich, which we also won. And a quick disclaimer, we are by no means masters of high-level combat in the new edition. Uh, mm. And so a lot of our time was spent, you know, with a new game that we had never played high-level before on Roll20, which many of us were new to as well. So those things tended to uh, color our experience, I think. And, you know, I, uh, I edit down our games, which took between two and a half to three and a half hours when we were playing them. And when I edited it down to just the gameplay, each was around an hour. Uh, the first session was actually a little less and the other session was actually a little more. So things might have gone quicker. In fact, probably would have gone quicker had we known the game better and had we been in person or known Roll20 better, certainly. But that being said, what are you guys thinking about combat overall? at high level in 5th edition D&D. For me, I have some thoughts. It was pretty fun to see big abilities go off, like a 90-foot cone of fire, uh, <laughs> a druid turning into a dragon turtle, a fighter doing eight attacks per round, all, all that kind of stuff. Certainly when I popped off the hurl through hell, that was really fun. I thought th those things, those really big signature abilities, it was really great to see. But then I thought sometimes, thanks to high-level creatures having tons of immunities and resistances and abilities and things, the PCs included, not just the monsters, it did begin to feel like a little bit of a grind as it became, okay, this is what I have that I can use to hurt this guy over and over again. I don't mm. want to mess around with legendary resistance and magic resistance and all that. So I'm going to keep using these at wills and these spells. And, you know, those last few rounds kind of become a grind of who's going to run out of hit points first. This sort of feeling is a little bit enhanced by the fact that at high level, everybody's dealing so much damage, it's really hard to hold on to a concentration spell for more than a round <laughs> or two. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and I also do think that were we not in the hands of a DM like Mike, who could look at a creature and think about an environment where the its abilities would be optimized. Like when we fought the Beholder, it was in this bowl-shaped room. We were in tight quarters with the Tarrasque, and we were in you know a, a lava pit with basically some platforms we could stand on with this red dragon. Um, things could have been very boring had we been fighting these monsters out in open fields. What are your overall thoughts on combat? Those are mine. Feel free to comment on those or uh, add your own. And let's start with you, Joe. It is no uh, surprise that I am a fan of 4th edition. Uh, I know there's a lot of 4th edition haters out there, and I don't want to go out and say 4th edition is better than 5th edition or anything like that. But one of the changes I saw between the two was that in 4th edition, you had four different uh, defenses that you could target with powers, which gave you the feeling of a greater variety of the, okay, if I shoot something at his will defense and he resists that, maybe I can try going after his reflex defense. Maybe I can go after his fortitude, or I can go with a physical attack against his AC. With everything only going against AC, uh, it felt much more limiting in terms of the, well, I can either do an attack or I can do something he has to save against, and if he's an epic level monster, he's going to save against it, either with advantage on the save or with uh, legendary resistance, uh, one way or the other. And so I felt like a lot of the spells that would have felt like a great variety of options for a high-level caster in other editions. Felt much more simplified and, and felt like I had many fewer options uh, in that regard. 
Sure, and I think in some respects that does speed up combat a little bit. In that oh, you absolutely. Have less options, right? So I think there is that that trade off going on there. Uh, Topher, what did you think about combat overall? Yeah, so I'm in the same boat as Joe. I have you know heard me on this podcast say I'm a huge fan of Fourth Edition. I think it was a great edition and got me back into D and D. But the lack of options made the combat much faster in these high levels. But I found myself really kind of becoming a one-trick pony uh we had chris and his you know i can attack eight times we had joe and the druid that can change into you know whatever and we had you and that you know they can hurl something through hell and i took down the draculich with a hand crossbow <laughs> so, if, so if that doesn't say so, the bard let's be clear about this the bard whipped out his hand crossbow and kills I, the draculich so let's I, I did loosen him up for you, you yeah <laughs> for the record how much damage was that crossbow shot it was like eight. Uh, it was like eight, eight to yeah. ten somewhere in there. So yeah, you know, like, you no, could have you could have thrown a dart and killed him. <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. But that kind of shows that at the end we resulted to throwing a paperclip at its head. Oh right, right. You know yeah. because you know because a it, lightning it, bolt would have done zero. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and that's that's kind of the craziness of it all. I had a ton of fun, even in the in the first one where the Trask basically sat me in a corner and treated me like as you know his play toy and killed me. I still had a ton of fun. And I think that that's the key. And I think you hit it on the head, James. And, uh, you know, I don't want to make Mike Shea's head any bigger than I already have. But <laughs> and without a DM like Mike Shea, who understands that it's more about just putting a big monster in the room, about making the environment and everything work well with the big monster, I think we would have taken down the, even the Tarrasque much simpler. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Uh, what do you think, Chris? What was your opinion of combat overall? I know you also have played a lot of Pathfinder, um, and if you've played high level, how does it stack up to Pathfinder high level combat? Uh, well, it's I, you know, I I didn't play much Fourth Edition at all. In fact, the only times I played Fourth Edition was when Mike was running it for me. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, my my vast majority of my experience in recent years is 3.5 to Pathfinder. And those two editions are all about grabbing onto more bonuses. And you spend more time pouring over your sheet looking for another plus two to, to you know, squeeze out of your character. And that just wasn't there. Right. I mean, I knew exactly what my bonus was and I didn't have to go through my sheet and go, wait a minute, is am I am I on his left side? Am I on it? Do I, you know, does does he know I'm there? You know. Um so it, it was a lot faster than I'm used to each individual attack. However, that being said, I then had options with the fighter that I had to decide between zero to 11 options on every single strike I made. <laughs> so every single time I hit, I mean, I wasn't pulling in bonuses, but then I was looking, okay, can I use this? Can I use this? Can I use this? Can I use this? So, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. But that ba the Battlemaster was a little bit confusing to jump into the deep end on. Yeah, yeah, because there were so many options, right? And then you also had options where if you rolled a one for damage uh, on your 2d6 greatsword, um, oh, yeah. you know, or that, a two, you had to reroll those, which yeah, I Yeah, so that, that kind of brought us to a, a little bit of a crawl on my turn. So it was like, it's it's faster overall and it felt much more streamlined however little little bits like that will will be speed bumps do you think that crawl is more because of roll 20 or because of the character um, i think if you had dice in front of you that wouldn't have been a crawl at all 
That part is probably true. However, looking at the options, I mean, part of it is not having ever picked up a fighter, you know, in in fifth edition before. You know, if I were if I had played that fighter from one to twenty, then I would have been much more familiar with those options, and I wouldn't have had to you know look at the sheet every time to go, uh, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? So, um, so I mean, yeah, that was that was exactly what it was. A lot of us didn't know our our abilities through and through. Are there, are there experienced level twenty fifth edition players? Not yet. Not they all look at Watsy. I'm not sure they're, they're I'm not sure that they're Watsy either. <laughs> Mike Shea, what was your opinion of combat overall? You were on the other side of the DM screen, and how are you feeling about running monsters? But how did you feel on that side of the screen running everything? So I didn't, as, as far as options, I didn't feel t- too bad. And it's kind of hard to judge because I played a lot of high-level 4E. And the stat block for the Tarrasque is about the same as the stat block for you know size wise physically you know word count wise in fact i think the word count's probably higher than what a fourth edition monster had but they they definitely streamlined a lot like the whole you know the handling of legendary resistance as a as a default way of handling the saver suck effects which is a really interesting thing all on its own we could probably talk more about more about that i, I but overall the, the problem that i have is i think the jury is still out for me uh, for a few reasons. I, I was really happy to do this and I think it gave us a taste, but I'm not, you know, it's a, it's a single point of data mm-hmm. and, uh, we had a bunch of other variables in it, right? We had brand new level 20 PCs. We are all, I would say, uh, you know, not, not really used to fifth edition. I'm still getting used to fifth edition. Oh yeah. Um, and we're playing over roll 20, which adds a whole other, you know, and it's the first time I've ever run anything or played on roll 20. So that certainly added a lot of time. One of the things I was curious about, Mike, as a DM, um, because I've seen high-level 4th edition play, and I know that the biggest issue with that is that you've got every character does 15 different status effects, and you've yeah. got to keep track of all those piece, all the things the PCs can do to your monsters. And I know that we, we talked a lot extensively beforehand about how broken the druid mechanic felt um, mm-hmm. and the different options I had to throw at you with that. How, how was it preparing for that, knowing that I could essentially have unlimited hit points? Well, so I started, and actually, if you if you you know if you remember, I started by having two invisible wizard guys with the Tarrasque, and mm-hmm. and those were my bull. I called them the bullshit wizards because their whole goal was if any bullshit happened, they were going to dispel it. And I realized like I don't even know how that was going to work. And then I, I didn't need two other guys, so they kind of just teleported away and disappeared. Right. Um, <laughs> but it turned out that the Tarrasque didn't really need it, uh, yeah. and that's that was one big one big conclusion I had from all three of those fights is I was really happy that, at least with that configuration of PCs, they never got locked down and screwed. They were they were beaten, and you know there were ways to kind of avoid what they were doing or mitigate what they were doing, but there was never a point where that dragon couldn't do what dragons do. And there was never a point where the Tarrasque couldn't do what the Tarrasque can do. Mm. And you know there may be ways to kind of pin it down with other configurations, but generally speaking, you know there wasn't anything like I saw in fourth edition where sword mages would teleport thirty squares and teleport the creature along with it and pin it in a corner and then teleport away again so it couldn't move. You know there was there was a lot of craziness that happened in four e that would completely debilitate um, monsters. Definitely. And I was so- I was really happy that that didn't happen in this. But I, I think it comes at a cost though, and I think that cost is the only thing left is you just keep hammering on damage. So Mike, did you feel like between, cause we broke it up into two sessions, right? Did you deal with our player options, whether it be Joe's, you know, change or the eight attacks? 
that you know Chris could have had? Did you deal with them differently the second time because no. you knew they were coming, or did you kind of keep that same mentality across it? Uh, I didn't. I didn't worry about it. Um, the only thing with the druid is I just said, okay, I'm not going to worry about doing damage to the druid anymore. You know, I'll kill the other three. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't have to put anything in place. Like the 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 eight attacks aren't a problem because that's just straight damage. Now it's a lot of damage. You know, I think I think if Archivaxis hits. Damage is huge because the fighter, it seems, is the one that's going to be doing most of the damage. I guess a rogue could too, mm-hmm. or yeah. melee or melee or against these guys, melee are going to have a big effect because the wizards aren't going to be able to land anything. The casters aren't going to land yeah. anything. Well, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about. Right, is that as a spellcaster playing a warlock, uh, so concentration was pretty rough, right? Yeah, it, right. It ends pretty hard to fast. hard to roll at DC ninety concentration check then you you know you end up with monsters having legendary resistance plus magic resistance so to even get them to use one of their legendary resistances right takes a big you yeah. know okay fail roll right 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 so one one area uh you asked if i modified anything well i had i had known that we were going to be facing you guys are going to be facing an ancient red drocolich you know when you were facing the tarask like that was on my hit list i just didn't tell anybody Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I picked the ancient red Dracolich instead of just a regular ancient red dragon is because the Dracolich gets uh, advantage on magical effects, and you know it's the one major thing that a tur- that a that a Dracolich gets. And I was like, well, that'll 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 make life a little easier. <laughs> and and I tell you, having legendary resistance and that is just mean. Like you you know you're essentially saying you're never going to land a spell. Don't try. Never land a spell that's going to require a save. You know, trying to hit their higher AC when you don't actually, there are no magic implements, so you're not getting the bonus to your attack rolls that, say, a fighter would get that extra plus three can be big, especially when somebody is, say, using shield. Shield sucks. Yeah, the idea that he would shield every round. and But, you know, and on one side, like, if you're a spellcaster, so the Draculich happened to be a spellcaster, but if you're a spellcaster, you better be hanging onto your shield because, boy, you're just a big lightning rod for damage. Sure, and I'm learning this already in lower level games that you know your any enemy spellcaster is like the first target, mm-hmm. and you know shield is there directly for that, and it's really powerful for big guys because you know it affects so many attack rolls. But on that note, right, shield is a great NPC spell for that reason, and I also think that it was wise to give the Draco Lich some spells for that uh, for that exact reason we were talking about that. It made the dragon more interesting. You know, when he used power word stun, when he sent uh, Archivaxis into yeah. maze. <laughs> oh, that was awful. Yeah. yeah. But interesting. Well, and, and that saved him around because, you know, yeah. that was an entire, I think, one or two rounds where Archivaxis couldn't do, you know, 200 damage to him. Joe and Topher, did you guys find that that holding on to concentration was hard? Do you think it really needs to be one of those... Everybody's got to find a way to stand behind the fighter if you want to hang on to your fly spell or if you want to hang on to that sort of thing. Do you think we could have played it smarter? Or do you think there's really no way of avoiding a 90-foot cone of fire? Well, I mean, my first instance of failing concentration was when I became a dragon turtle to get out of the Tarasque's stomach. Uh, <laughs> and then the Tarasque unleashed five, four or five attacks on me and even though I had a Dragon Turtle's constitution to help with my concentration check, one of the rolls just didn't go well. And so I lost the spell and suddenly was a human again. Uh, and so it was it was interesting to see even, you know, with a maxed out constitution and all the feats that would boost your concentration checks, 
there's still a chance of failing. It was annoying to me because I liked hanging out as a dragon turtle, but but uh, <laughs> from a from a game balance standpoint, it didn't feel necessarily wrong uh, that giant Tarrasque hits you several times. One of those is going to break through and 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 distract you a little. Uh, that seemed that seemed appropriate. Um, it didn't feel totally out of the realm of of uh, what what should be going on at that level. But at the same time, you lost your ninth level spell right immediately after. You yeah, that's cast that it. is. That is true. That is true, and that was that was really annoying, especially since everybody only gets one ninth level spell. Yeah, right. Uh, that's your big. That's your big spell. It, it felt very much like the well. That's a round that I got. Uh, great, you know. And then, of course, the other thing with that, looking at the ninth level spell, is that uh, the monster manual had just been released a couple days prior, and I was flipping through it trying to find something that I could turn into that would have the best chance of surviving the Tarrasque. And Dragon Turtle was where I went, but. Turns out Couldn't there turn were into other... a Tarrasque? I could not because it's only up to your level in challenge oh, rating and the Tarrasque okay. is higher than level 20. But I could have become, I think it's a copper dragon, which is immune to acid. And I could have stayed in the Tarrasque stomach and just attacked <laughs> it from inside. Didn't, uh, we, didn't we have the discussion about whether he can induce vomiting? <laughs> yes, <laughs> and think, yes, And yes, I think yes, we yeah, said that he, whole... he can, in fact, induce vomiting. Like He's like, this isn't working. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, but but in in general, at, at least in that instance, uh, losing the concentration spell didn't didn't feel out of the realm of of reality. You know, reality. We're casting magic spells and we're turning into giant turtles, but <laughs> it, it didn't feel outside the realm of of the reality of the game uh, for that anyway. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of other concentration spells that I used as a regular druid uh, that got disrupted, so I don't really have a lot of extra experience. I don't know if Topher, if you've got other. It depends on how I wanted to play the bard. So if we take the Tarrasque out of the equation, because with the Tarrasque basically landing on top of me and fearing me, I couldn't really be effective because my whole boogie was I was pinned in a corner and I couldn't get far enough away. And the Tarrasque, of course, was going to attack me. But in the other two fights, when I was able to position myself, I had a choice of whether or not I wanted to make the bard offensive or supportive. And so in a supportive role, there aren't a lot of really big concentration spells that he needs to be casting. It's really about healing and buffing and making sure that the bardic inspiration die goes to the right person at the right time and making sure you're within the right distance to deal out the heals that needs that needs to happen and using those spell slots, you know, smartly for the right amount of heal to keep the guys doing the damage up. Now that said, using the using Mordecai's sword was a concentration spell and that was one of the times that it kind of I kind of paid the price because I had to be in a position where we were going to be and how I had to be there. And I took some serious damage and lost concentration and didn't use that spell, I think, to its effectiveness for the slot I had to use to cast it. Mike, you brought up this point, right? Single monsters really hold their own well, which was not a thing uh, in fourth edition that was necessarily true of so-called solo monsters, particularly at higher levels. And one thing that I seemed to notice about bad guys was they were scary. Like, I felt scared fighting the Tarrasque. I felt yes. scared when we were fighting that Draco Lich and his breath weapon came out and did a ton of damage. On the player side, AC seems to mean very little. Even if you have, you know, pretty good magic armor... That at these higher levels, because proficiency is also tied to your attacks, which does go up for these high-level monsters, you know, mm-hmm. uh, proficiency of plus nine as it should, uh, your armor means very little. 
Uh, yeah. You know, like, like they have to roll basically a one, which was yeah. a miss anyway. He's not only got the plus nine, but he's got a massive strength to back it up. So, I mean, there's right. your armor class is worthless. And perhaps as it should be with the Tarrasque, right? Um, mm-hmm. So what did you guys think when we were fighting these guys? Were you, were you guys, like, scared or did it feel like a cakewalk for the ones we beat? I know everybody was scared during that Tarrasque fight. Maybe not Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what did you think, Chris? Were you scared? I uh, was pretty sure that uh, he was going to start targeting me any second now, and I was probably going to last a, maybe a round and a half. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, was, I thought uh, whoever he picks on next is gone. And what about the other fights against the Beholder and the, the Red Draco Lich? I didn't, um, the Draco Lich, I was, I, I didn't really have the mobility to keep up with him. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I just was able to get to the right place for a couple rounds but i knew that if he backed off and did range things at me there was no way i was going to do anything about it right. so uh, so yeah i mean i i was absolutely scared of that on the beholder you came within one saving throw of petrification too i think yeah right? yeah oh yeah. yeah yeah i mean and the beholder just completely threw me off i'm like no i don't even know what to do i'm just gonna throw my weapons at him one by one <laughs> until I run out. well and the beholder is a is a challenge rating 13 creature right you know, it's it's not like the Tarasque who was a challenge thirty. Yeah, right. Or, the, right, thirty is a ridiculous number. Yeah. Right. Like, what about you, Topher? Were you scared fighting uh, these monsters? Well, obviously, I was feared during the Tarasque fight. Let's be very clear. About that. <laughs> um, the most common question I got asked the next time the folks at my uh, the Titans where I do encounters asked me is, "Why didn't you run away?" And I said, I guess you didn't <laughs> listen because I couldn't. <laughs> I specifically asked Mike, "What's behind me?" <laughs> Can I get farther away, please? Um, but I, I have to admit that when the the Dracolich, the Red Dracolich, did its fire fun, I had a thought of, crap, I'm going to die again. And I was, <laughs> I was, I was scared. I was, as a player, and as, as I'm sure my character was, but as a player, I was fearful of death and played my character differently to try to make that not happen. I, I felt like that the the Beholder, we had a good handle on them for whatever reason. That they were, yeah, they were, they were tough and they were bad and they were bad mofos. But I felt like as a as a party, we were a good match against them, so I wasn't as fearful. Mm-hmm. But when the red Dracolich, I was, I was, I, I'm, I'm with you, James. I was, I was scared. Well, and certainly the impact of the beholders coming after the Tarasque. I think it was well, you, you could hear a collective sigh of relief. <laughs> oh, thank God, it's only beholders. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, that God. was also the only encounter that was reasonably balanced. Yeah, like the other ones are challenge rating is way higher than anybody could be. Even so, it took us forever to take down that last beholder zombie. Uh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, the zombie come <laughs> back right. to life. Uh, yeah. If I remember right, the um, hand crossbow came into play there too. I just want to throw that out. <laughs> I just want to throw that out. All right, Joe. What about you? Were you scared fighting these bad guys? Were, did you feel the fear, or as the druid, did you really feel like, well, I'm I'm on god mode right now. I have, uh, you know, I've put in the cheat code, and everything's great. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of that cheat code feeling in there. There was the one moment where uh, where the Tarrasque um, beat through all of my beast hit points until I was a human again and then swallowed me that I was like, oh, wow, that uh, shouldn't happen again because I won't survive. Uh, but uh, but then I quickly found something else I could turn into and, and it was okay again. Uh, it, it really 
playing as a druid at that high level felt more like uh i don't know playing as a damage mitigator playing as a as a thing to lock stuff down playing as a as a not so much playing as an interesting character that could do interesting things more of of a well, I'm gonna I'm gonna move this hit point bag over here to soak up some damage, and with my sentinel feet keep him from moving away. Uh, now I'm gonna move over here and soak up some of those eye rays because none of them can hurt me. I didn't feel very heroic. I felt utilitarian, and that uh, was less scary. And I don't want to say boring because it was an interesting game. It was an interesting combat, but as a player, I didn't feel like my character was as interesting as it could have been. And I actually thought for a second when the beholders came out, I thought, ah. Oh. Mike has figured it out. The anti magic cone has. Come oh, that forth. thing is terrifying. If Tim. that was there, I would have. I would have been. <laughs> yes. The only problem was that you can't have a beholder with anti magic cone and anything else, right? Because yeah, he'll right, disrupt right, right. them too. So he would have just come over. I was like, oh, a beholder with zombie beholder. I was like, wait a minute, they're just going to fall and like roll around yes. like marbles. <laughs> uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you. So I'm asking all these guys if they were terrified, like I was. Did you feel powerful and like? Did you feel like, yeah, I've got these guys. I'm, uh, I have a chance here. I might kill them all. Well, yeah, my my goal is never to kill everybody. Like I don't even on this one, I didn't want to TPK. Sure. Um, and I've, I don't think I've ever actually TPK'd a group in in ever because I'm a pushover. Well, but uh, because that's not fun, right? <laughs> right. Well, it's not fun, right? And what do you you know? Oh, actually, no, I TPK'd a group a couple weeks ago, but. Um, <laughs> So the, the thing I was worried about feeling was powerless. That you've got an ancient red Dracolish that can't do anything useful, right? Or you've got a Tarasque that can't do anything useful. And I was more worried about the Tarasque than the other ones because the other ones have lots of ranged attacks. They're not really going to get pinned down easily. You know, they're, 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 they've got a lot going for them. But the Tarasque is just a giant melee. You know, all he could do is hit things. And he's got tons of hit points and lots of stuff and lots of defenses, but he doesn't have like any way to deal with ranged. He can't, you know, there's, there's a lot of things he can't do. So if he got stuck in a mud pit somewhere, he could be stuck there. And and I think somebody did another test where like a rogue with a bow and flew around and shot him to death. Oh yeah. Yeah, Right. right. I think if we had him on the open plane, it would have been a completely different fight. Yeah. Right. We were in his, we were in his house. I don't think I ever felt like I was definitely going to just kill all you guys. Um, and when I was kind of thinking about the red, the, probably the one where I thought about it the most was the Dracolich, where I said like, okay, what spell, you know, you actually have to figure out what spells he's got. Like he only has eight, I think, and they're up uh-huh. to level eight. And, and, you know, so what can he do with them? Well, A, he's only, he's not going to live eight rounds. So that means he can fire a spell off every round if he wants, you know, shield as a reaction is a great one. But then, you know, the other spells were things that he really needs that he can't do otherwise, like maze. And like, you know, I was going to have power word stun handy for the druid that like, if all I have to do is get him down to below 150, go bang, you know, you're stunned. Oh, now yeah. Go sit in the corner. And so I do right. with the other people. <laughs> but he also has a 93 point breath weapon, you know, and that's that's a lot of damage. Even if you have resistance, it's a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a lot of damage to a lot of people because he can cover, you know, almost an entire room. They got to do what they were intended to do the entire battle. I know we've all probably seen or at least heard about the stats for Tiamat, and it's great to see she feels like a goddess who would be hard-pressed to yeah, defeat. The, the funny thing is Tiamat's stat block is she's the same challenge rating as the Tarask, and she just eats the Tarask's lunch. Mm-hmm. She is so much more powerful and, and oh, just yeah. direct. Five legendary resistances instead of three. She's immune to spells below six level yeah. and then has resistance on top of that, on top of the legendary resistances. Oh, uh, reaction yeah. every turn. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. Reactions on every turn and breath weapons as off-turn actions. That's right. Yes. And five legendary five actions. Five different ones, yeah. Five <laughs> legendary actions. You can do two breath weapons, a bite, and two claws and a tail every So speaking of things being hard, things being difficult, I think it's time we talk about the druid a little bit. Joe, you definitely have... to have, have that talk. Ha- yes. Yeah. yeah. You have definitely already touched on the druid and the problems uh, that a druid has. That at 20th level... They can wild shape at will and continually change their forms, which means a constant refresh of hit points, essentially. Yes. So, you know, we have discussed all sorts of ways via email with each other uh, how we would mitigate it, what seems like too much of an overcorrection, what seems like it isn't. What do you think you would do to make the druid fun to play um, and, and sort of use Wild Shape as you believe it should be intended. Well, one of the things I did to start off with was, as written, you could keep Wild Shaping into a different version of the same creature. So if I know that a Mammoth has 126 hit points, and I turn into my Mammoth, and I take 100 damage, the next round I can turn into a different Mammoth and have 126 hit points again. Right, you could just refresh the Mammoth. Oh. Right, right, right. Which, oh, which, I didn't even think of that. That is so yeah. cheating. Yeah, he was which being I nice. Is, he was being beyond nice. ridiculous. So I was, I was keeping ah. a single hit point for each creature type. So like, oh, my mammoth hit points are only at five, so I shouldn't turn into him again. I'll turn into a fire elemental. I'll turn into something else. Um, I don't feel like that still made it a, a an uncheesy class, though. I mean, I, I I still felt like there were there were plenty of times where I was I was taking way more damage than any other two or three PCs should be able to take um, and still doing okay with it. I don't know how I would fix it really because I feel like taking on the stats of the creature you turn into is, is a, to use the Watsy buzzword, is an, icon- an iconic thing about the druid. Um, but at the same time, if you get too much into, well, the percentage of damage you took as the animal translates to that percentage of your human hit points or things like that, it, it, becomes way too much math and that just makes it less fun so i'm not really sure uh what i would do with it really um i think you just I, have a limit to how many times it can change i think the at will part is what breaks it yeah mind. and that's that's what you get at level 20 so uh, you know going up to that you know you're you're limited to two times uh two times in between short rests that you can do it until you hit level 20 and then you get that I am the arch druid. I can wild shape at will infinitely. Mm-hmm. And and so on the one hand, you're like, well, if you're the strongest druid in the world, and if you go with the old first edition, there is only one arch druid on the planet, then that would make sense. You would expect the strongest druid in the world to be able to wild shape as much as he wants. But from a mechanical balancing it against other classes, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I don't feel like there is a way to do that really and still you're going to lose something one way or the other. You're either going to completely lose balance like we have now, or you're going to lose the feeling that you are uh, the iconic, awesome super druid. Yeah. I have a Joe, a quick question. How many base hit points did your druid have? 104, I think. Okay. And the mammoth is 130? Uh, yeah, 126, I think. So I have some interesting math for you. So I just, I'm looking through the Tarask. I'm looking at average damage and I'm assuming that the Tarask hits every attack. And this uh-huh. includes all of the legendary action attacks. So if they're focused 100% on the Druid yep. and the, every single attack is against the Druid, the average yep. amount of damage is 232 hit points. And oh, wow. in Mammoth form, with your base hit points, you have 230. Right. So that means that, you know, the, the Tarask can just barely 
knock a druid to zero right. and not not killing it <laughs> just right. knocking it to zero that's not assuming crits or anything like that if i was an earth elemental which i believe has the same hit points as the mammoth or very close to it and takes half damage from non-magical attacks since for some reason the tarasque isn't a magical attacker make i'm wondering okay. did we did we i guess it was the um uh the dragon where yes. i i pulled out the fact that it says it's a magical creature to say that they were magical attacks right sure. right right yeah yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing a quick parse of the Tarask to see if he says the same thing. Well, and that's funny. So the the new Tiamat, which we've yeah, seen, right. She says that it actually calls out her attacks count as magical. You I'm know, not sure that contradicts a dragon's being magical. No, no, and I think they're just I, clarifying. I certainly think the well, DM because, fiat there is yeah. is justified. Um, yeah, you know, and you wonder if it's like, did wizards catch on and think like, oh, we should be adding this to creatures? I know I went back and added it to some of the creatures that I ha- have been designing because I want them to have that. And for like a Tarask, it makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, there would be no question in my mind if you said it doesn't say so specifically here, but his attacks are magical. Mike, uh, you know, we had brought up before um, that, like, oh, maybe it's just the level twenty druid, and how long are you actually going to play at level twenty? But you had mentioned that they're seeing problems uh, as early at yeah. second level with yeah. uh, the wild yeah. shape at some tables. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, so this is this is what I'd heard. I didn't actually see it at any of my tables, but I think actually uh, um, Chris Tulak mentioned it on Twitter that people in Druid Wild Shaping were were you know eating through organized play stuff. Yep. Um, and the one that I had heard was people would talk about the first battle with Cyan Wrath in uh, Greenest in the uh, yep. Lord of the Dragon Queen module, and yes. it's intended for Cyan Wrath. And in every time I've run it, Cyan Wrath has stomped on whoever they're fighting. Yep. You know, whoever he's fighting, except when it was a druid. Mm. And in a couple of forum posts, people were beating Cyan, beating Cyan Wrath as a druid because they could shift into a bear and knock him around as a bear. With with the bear's multi-attack and the, the more damage than most PCs are doing at that level. Right. right. And and I think I think you can still shift twice, right? Yeah, you can shift twice in between short yeah. rests. So still, uh, yeah, if you happen to save it up up to that point, you could fire it off twice in one battle. And of course, a lot of that's anecdotal. I didn't actually see it, but I do. My my wife uh, plays a druid in one of our games, and she uh, shape shifted into something and managed to beat the hell out of everything. So I'm actually seeing at my table. I have a druid, uh, a third level druid, playing at my table for encounters. Yep. And I'm witnessing firsthand that even at third level, that the wild shape and some of the other stuff that they get is broken. I, I give him a hard time. He's also a guy who's in my home campaign. I've, he loves playing druids, and you know he loves min-maxing a druid, and he's very good at it. He's been giving me um, a really hard time with druids for a while now, um, so I give him a really hard time. But I'm noticing the brokenness. I'm noticing that with his thing that he can beat almost anything that I throw at him with a minimal effort. Yeah, I'm also seeing the same kind of effect in my uh, home game. I'm running a little, uh, a little uh, fifth edition game for my regular pathfinder group we kind of taken a break from pathfinder and doing fifth edition i'm running the uh keep on the borderlands and sharon my wife is playing a druid and we're seeing the same kind of thing at second and third level where she's just sort of doing an awful lot of damage for a second level character yeah and- exactly yeah my my big argument that then we talked about this in our email exchanges is that mm-hmm. i think the druid is powerful anyway and doesn't need the extra healing 
shapeshifting into elementals is really good. Right? Yeah. And like shapeshifting into a bear and beating the hell out of somebody is really good. You don't need an extra 58 hit points right. of healing on top of that. Well, I have a question for the for the entire uh, Tome Roundtable audience. Is anybody who is playing a druid not playing a Circle of the Moon druid? I have not seen someone play Circle of the Land. Yeah. yeah neither have I. It seems like a no-brainer. It seems like, you know, this is like you are going to dominate everything. <laughs> yeah, I've I've read a couple forums where people talk about taking a couple levels of druid for Circle of the Land if you want a really wide-ranging caster cleric or something that has access to lots of different spells but but other than those small specific examples that internet people talk about no impractically it's always been moon druids wow that that's telling yeah. so my my big concern is that the more people play circle the moon druid the more they're going to get used to that style of play and the assumption that it's a tank class then if they ever decide you know what it really is we're seeing it in organized play a lot and it's you know, reckon and counterbalance for a lot of stuff. We're going to change it. Then they're like, oh, well, now the druid sucks because now I can't tank anymore. And, you know, it's like, actually, it's a really powerful class anyway. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't need to have, be able to, you know, tank in order for it to be good. But if everybody's used to it, then the nerf is, is going to be severe. But Watsi seems very apprehensive about doing any kind of errata. That's fine. I'll house rule it. Well, and this, so then I wonder if the, if the druid is then going to be the standard for whatever the next, you know, when the adventurer's guide or whatever the, the, thing is that's coming out in march for the the next uh adventure path that they release they're going to have another kind of splatty book sort of thing with it i wonder if the other character options they present there are going to bring the other classes to a level on par with the moon druid tanking oh i hope not you know if it's that's going to be the start of the power creep is the okay yeah. well druid is the is the the goal here let's see if we can make these other so. classes yeah. I, I mean i think that because the way that they seem to be half, uh, handling class balance is not to worry about it so much right yeah right so i don't think they're going to say like okay everybody's got to be baselined like the druid but first of all it's a weird class like you know it's hard to even figure out the balance of that but they're not going to say like well double everyone's hit points because the druid's got a lot right right i think you will see certain tables banning that build of the druid eventually because watsi is pretty big on dms having more agency in this edition and i think you will see a lot of people just saying hey you know i'd rather not deal with it at all you yeah know? i'll be i'll be really interested to see if organized play does anything with it yeah that's true especially if it's already on forums people are talking about how it's affecting you know organized play adventures so yeah, Paizo, was... <laughs> organized play has banned certain archetypes and builds from the, you know from pathfinder society because they're they're just too powerful you know, I just want to see. I just want to see it balance a little bit, and I, I think it's already really good. You know, there's lots of cool things that that druid can do that doesn't involve recycling hit points. Mm-hmm. Oh like yeah, turning into a dinosaur. Yeah, or turning into a weasel and stealing into a room. You know, mm-hmm. turning into a rat and figuring out what the bosses are all saying. I mean, I tell you what, I really dig, which is the idea that you've taken so much damage as a bear that you can't shift back to a human or you'll die. Like, there's something that I like about that. There's something That's about, an interesting like, idea. You have yeah. to stay as a bear. Oh, you know what would be an interesting thing? If we, we talked about the concentration mechanic before, if while you were wild-shaped, you had to make a check to see if you could break away from the beast mentality to become a human again. Like, if there was some kind of a, a you know, concentration or other type of check to reclaim your, your mortal nature. Does it involve concentration already or not? It doesn't, right? It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's it's just a. It has an uh, so many hours duration based on I think it's half your druid level. Do any of the other polymorph spells require concentration? 
Shape changes yes. concentration, right? Yeah, okay. they, they all the other ones do. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a pretty good balance right there too. Yeah. I, I, why yeah. is it? I wonder what is there? Would it would it break it if it did require concentration? I think maybe it's because most of the animals and wild shape things have such a low AC, you wouldn't last very long in your wild shape. Right, right. I don't know. And they don't all have very high constitutions either. Are we going to see a Tiamat takedown at some point? I would love to do a Tiamat takedown. Right on, right on, right on. <laughs> For me, like, you know, the jury's still out until like the middle of next year. And at that point, we will have actually, I will have, you know, likely run a game up to at least 16th level from level one. And I think that's going to show me a lot more about what this actually looks like. Because it's really hard to judge with four, you know, freshly made characters. Um, you know, I think this one in particular is frustrating to you know, constantly have everything resisted because you're fighting four big solo guys or three, right? One right after the other, where in a normal campaign, you're only going to be seeing those every so often. Exactly. You know, like you're only going to be fighting these boss guys every so often, but who knows? Like, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what it looks like playing through an entire campaign that leads to that point. You know, I encourage everybody, if you do get to that point, let us know what's going on let us know what your experiences with high level yeah. play are like i'd love to hear about it speaking of reaching out where can people find you joe listowski at joe listowski on twitter uh i also uh write several different blogs on actsofgeek.com uh doctor who blog and a dnd blog and some other stuff uh as the need arises and topher cohen where can people find you uh they can find me on the twitters at topher atl that's T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. Also on the Google Plus, the same place. And uh, every Wednesday night, they can find me at Titans Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia, where I help um, organize and run the um, Adventures League program for that great local-friendly gaming and comic book store. Uh, Christopher Dudley, where can people find you? Uh, Well, I frequently uh, host the Rule Zero podcast with either my friend Pete or my wife Sharon. And you can find us at rulezeropodcast.com if you want to put the www in front of that. Feel free. Um, (laughs) You can email me at rulezeropodcast at gmail.com. Or you can read me on the Twitters at at rulezeropodcast. And Mike Shea, where can people find you? Uh, My main website is slyflourish.com. My Twitter account is twitter.com slash slyflourish. And uh, I've been running D&D Encounters-style games at our local game shop in Vienna, Virginia, called Game On. And guys, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intricasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Joe, Topher, Chris, and Mike. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like this show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the Roundtable.